This is Jeff Chrisman, and I'm here today speaking with photographer Carl Short here in the studio. Carl, thanks so much for taking the time. Hi, Jeff. Looking forward to talking with you. Absolutely. I thought we might start out a little bit to share with listeners if you might be able to give us a little bit of an idea as far as your various in, you know, photographic interests and to share a little more about the work that you do. Sure, I'm happy to. Um, in Oklahoma, if you're going to be a photographer, you need to be a generalist, hmm. not a specialist. Although I find myself uh, taking lots of photographs of people particularly headshots and event photo event photographs. It seems that many photographers aren't, well, they're, they're challenged by taking pictures of people because you've got to interact with them. And uh, fortunately, I've studied with some great folks and, and know a lot of people in our city because of my banking background. And so that sort of, if you know somebody, it's easier to take their picture than if you're a total stranger saying, would you stand in front of my camera? So oh, yeah. I've, been, I've been blessed that way. But um, if you just turn me loose with my camera, I'll probably go to some landscape or cityscape area. Uh, I love documenting our city, and I also love gritty, rusty, uh, rotting things. One of my favorite photos is of the bus station sign downtown before they took it down and renovated it because it just had decades of experience uh, that showed in its uh, how it was beat up and the peeling paint and the faded paint and... Uh, the dents and and uh, all of the flaws that were in it really showed the lifespan of uh, of it in our city at the same time. And then I was wondering too, as far as maybe getting or hearing a little bit more, getting some insight into your journey, maybe if you could share a little bit about how you actually got started uh, in photography. And sure, my dad uh, was always interested in photography. We did lots of driving vacations. And one day I would get a camera, and the next day my brother would get a camera, and the next day my sister would get a camera. We each had uh, a roll of 36 slide film. Hmm. And so our goal was to shoot up that film that day. And uh, uh, so while my dad was never particularly accomplished at it, and neither were we as children, it was something that he passed on to us. And until I thought about retiring from banking, I was just purely an amateur photographer. You know, that was the film days when you, you shot film and then it would take you a week to get it back and you wonder, well, why did I do that? How did I do that? Why did it turn out this way? And then when digital photography came along, of course, the, the learning curve uh, was much shorter. And I began to think about, well, what do I want to do in retirement? Because having watched my clients retire, I knew I needed something that would keep my brain active, my body active, keep me engaged and... Uh, so I thought photography in the digital age is something I could do. I hadn't realized that the computer is half of the battle. The camera is half and the computer is half. But it's a great learning opportunity, and there's always some boundary to push, either in taking or um, editing photos. Oh, yeah, and I was wondering, too, as far as the uh, – are there any of these skills that maybe a photographer or that you had learned uh, you know, prior to digital uh, photography – that kind of you, that you feel like maybe in some way helped you or gave you a little bit of a different perspective? Well, I would say that most of my learning about photography, true learning, came after um, I made the decision to retire early. And I've, I've gone to a great many workshops with some uh, world-renowned folks because I didn't really have time to do the 10,000-picture thing. You say, say, if you do something 10,000 times, you're finally an expert at it. Oh, yeah. Well, I wanted to shorten that learning curve. So I've been to lots of week-long and weekend-long seminars around the country with some really great teachers, and I've learned uh, so much from them. It's it's so much more than just 
the rule of thirds and and being careful of your exposures, really learning how to see. And I think photographers see differently than non-photographers do. Hopefully I can find, if you tell you put me somewhere in a room and say, find something to take a picture of, I'll be able to do that when nobody who, without some experience, would be able to, to do so. Because typically what you do is just keep looking smaller and smaller and smaller, and eventually you find some detail somewhere that's... Uh, a lot more interesting than the big scene. Yeah, I've always wondered if this really kind of changes the way that you you know that you see overall, or the way, you know how you you know how you notice things. Oh, it really does. And I've actually trained my wife a little bit. She'll occasionally say, "Wow, look at that light!" And and photography is all about the light. Uh, you can't take a photograph in the dark, and you don't necessarily want to take a photograph at high noon. So it's all it's. It, I think it's uh, Latin for writing with light, if you will. So we're, as photographers, we're always looking for beautiful light, and they say if you want to take more pretty pictures, stand in front of more pretty people or more pretty places, but, but they have to be in beautiful light for it to really be anything more than a snapshot. Hmm. And then I wondered, too, as far as, uh, you know, looking back over the years that you've been doing this, if you could maybe speak of any of, any of your, uh, you know, the projects that were most meaningful to you or that, that impacted you in the most. One of my early projects, and that's a good question, um, but one of the early projects of taking photographs of people, uh, I was as intimidated as the next person. And so I thought, well, who is it I could take pictures of that would wind up with a personal portfolio? And no matter how they turned out, these folks would like to have a picture of themselves. And um, uh, I had an acquaintance at the Homeless Alliance that I made contact with, and lo and behold, they set up 25 folks at the Homeless Alliance Center who agreed to have their photograph made. So I hauled all of my lighting equipment down, which was brand new to me at the time, and a, a camera which I was familiar with but hadn't done a lot of portraiture with. And and bless their hearts, they all got gussied up and they were eager to have their picture made they would do anything I asked them to do and uh, uh, the the Kerr Foundation and Bank 2 gave me a little grant to have those photographs printed on polished aluminum plate hmm. and they're now hanging at the Alliance uh, at the Homeless Alliance oh, wow. and they've been there for 10 years or so and, uh, and I get lots of positive feedback particularly from their board members who say our boardrooms lined with the faces of the people that we're serving Oh, and uh, so that that really touched me that uh, uh, that that not only did the people whose photo I took appreciate them, but for a decade now others have appreciated what they mean. So, and I know we were talking a little bit before the interview just about how you know how important it's been for you to document the history of Oklahoma City, and I was wondering, uh, or you know, some of the historical things about the city, and I was just wondering if there's anything you might want to uh, to speak of in regards to that. Well, I do love our city. I was born and raised here, went to the University of Oklahoma. And so um, I consider myself a street photographer to some degree. And that means different things to different people. And in the kind of street photography I do, it may or may not include people. It just depends on uh, what's going on that particular time. But I've made a conscious effort to document the bus station downtown before they took it down and um, State Center across the street from that before they took it down. Our uh, state capitol before, right after the uh, 
the new dome went on, but before they put all of the renovation materials in place, I took a lot of pictures there inside and out. And the milk bottle, I recently, I've, I've, at 23rd and, and uh, uh, Classen, it's all what, you know, it's an iconic place in Oklahoma City. But I've really never found the right light to photograph it in. Hmm. But I recently bought an infrared filter. And infrared photography is best done at high noon. Most photography is best done at sunrise or sunset. So I thought, this is great. Something to do in the middle of the day when I want to. And so um, I recently took some photos of the milk bottle building. And uh, it's been very popular at the gallery and w- among my friends. So, uh, And it's a place I'll go back and back to and back to because as the sky change and the seasons change, of course, it always makes a, a big difference there. Yeah, and I was wondering too if there's if there's any other places you that you've revisited as you photograph just to kind of you know as far as the seasons changing. I never really thought about that before that you know the way the light looks you know different at different times right. of the year. Um, it does. It looks very different. Of course, the foliage is very different too, and and what kinds of flowers or trees are in bloom or, or what stages of leafing out, and the sun angle is very different in the wintertime it's very low in the southern horizon and in the summertime it moves way north and gets very harsh. So um, uh, I'm on the board of the Myriad Gardens and so I'm a volunteer photographer for them. They have access to 10,000 photographs I've taken at the Myriad Gardens. Oh, wow. So um, I volunteer for lots of not-for-profit organizations so that to help them with their friend and their fundraising activities. They, They sometimes can't afford a professional photographer to come do what they need to do. So since I'm willing to photograph people, landscapes, buildings, interiors, exteriors, and my price is right for them, that uh, uh, I have lots of opportunity to volunteer with my camera. But the Mary Gardens is a place I love, and I photographed it back when it had walls around it to today when it's, you know, a very friendly and welcoming place, just full of people and kids and, and a real heartwarming change to watch the Myriad Gardens go from kind of a foreboding walled-in facility to one that's open and welcoming and, and widely used by our community. Yeah, and that's, and that's got to be, uh, I would think, just to be able to have that kind of relationship with places as well as with people would be something that would be really interesting, it is to, interesting. Uh, to see those changes. My current project is uh, documenting the uh, Scissortail Park for the Myriad Gardens, who will run it. Hmm. It's the new park immediately... Uh, south of the Mary Gardens that's under construction. So once a month for the last year, I've gone to the, do- the top of the Devon Tower and taken several photos, wide angles and details of that park as it's uh, progressed. And so they'll soon be putting water in the lake, and I think it'll, it'll finish up sometime later this year, early next year. But it's fun to, to document the construction of a project because it'll never look like that again. It'll, it'll be mature and a generation from now people won't know what it took to construct it except my pictures will be there to, to help tell that story yeah and i've got to think that's got to be a gratifying feeling. it is yeah it's a lot of fun it's a lot of work you know you think well once i got to go park downtown and go up the devon tower blah 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 but it's worth it you know oh, yeah. I, I love doing it so and as far as the uh, kind of looking back a little bit as far as i know you talked about you know in terms of photography or photographing people i'm sorry uh Getting some idea of maybe how is you know has has the process of do, you know doing that over the years has that changed the way that you relate to people or how you how you how you look at people or feel about them? Well, um, you know, nobody. I mean, most people don't want to have their picture made, 
And so if they're having a headshot done or they need a portrait for whatever reason, um, and they're not photographers, or even if they are, it might be worse if they are photographers. Most people are a lot more comfortable behind the camera than they are in front of the camera. And so I've had to learn how to very quickly set people at ease and let them know they don't need to know anything. I'm going to give them direction at every turn. And I'll tell them how to move their nose, their chin, when to smile. I'll have them say goofy things to get a real smile out of them. And uh, so it's, yeah, well, practice really helps there to learn to to instantly sort of relate to somebody. And uh, I always like them to talk about themselves for a minute or two, particularly if I'm doing headshots at a corporation. I say, well, what, what do you do for bank XYZ? And as, if, as a banker, I probably ask a follow-on question or two and, and um, ask them where they grew up, where they went to school, what do they like to do for fun. You know, as we're setting up, and I'm, sometimes I'm just dinking with the lights to carry on a conversation. But, uh, and I think I'm pretty good at that, getting people to be comfortable in front of the camera pretty quickly because you typically have four or five minutes with somebody. The, the, the New York photographers who take all day to shoot somebody's portrait and get paid a bazillion dollars. I, I know that must be wonderful, but I never have the luxury of that kind of time just to play. Oh and, yeah, yeah. And then, as far as is is kind of getting an understanding of maybe how this has changed you in some way, or, or how you've evolved over the years as you've been taking photographs. Is when I, when you look back, can you see any way that the Carl Short maybe uh, who who started this years ago is, is is maybe somewhat different than the Carl Short of today? Um. Well, I certainly see things differently. I'll, I'll pick out little details as we're driving along, and, and I always have a camera in the car, and unless I have to be somewhere, I've learned to stop and take the picture because there may not be. I can't come back tomorrow. That might be raining or the sunflower that I loved and I, I saw today in the beautiful light. Somebody's going to come along and pick it. You know, you just learn to take advantage of the moment. And uh, But, but I, one of my structures also... Uh, taught us that when you finally arrive at a place, this was uh, uh, in New Mexico, one of my favorite photographers who is Carlin Tapp. He's Native American. And we all get out and we've got our cameras. He says, you guys, put your cameras down. Just put them down. This is a sacred place. You need to just stand here and take it all in. I mean, it was a beautiful day, beautiful clouds in New Mexico. Just wonderful landscape rock formations um, and vegetation it was just a really special place but if you just get your camera out and start clicking then you really haven't had a chance to take it in and I I would have told you that's all hogwash a few years ago but after studying with Carlin for a couple of weeks I've learned it's not it really if you're in a special place you ought to put your camera down and take it in for a minute not see the world through a camera lens all the time and then when you do, your mind will begin to focus on where are the really interesting places that I want to photograph? What, what speaks to me about this particular area? And the interesting thing is you can be in a spot with 10 other photographers. You compare photographs and you think, I never even saw that. And they'll look at yours and say, where did you take that? I was standing right next to you. I didn't see that. <laughs> and so it's, it's, I've learned that other people see things differently than I do, and that's perfectly fine. And, oh, yeah. Uh, so, but I know I've learned, I've developed my style, and a lot of people say they can pick my work out by the, the look. I'm not sure what that is, but 
other people recognize it, so it must be there. Oh yeah, and then I, and I'm sitting here as you, as you were talking about that. I'm envisioning, you know, it seems like so many people now have cameras on their te- on their phones, and I, you know, I've, I was hearing someone talk about that the other day that there's this tendency, you know, you can go to certain places, especially if you're going where a lot of tourists are, and you'll see everybody is, you know, taking pictures with their phones. And I have to wonder if that's, you know, also the same thing. There is people are so busy. Just you know, in realizing they you know they they're not necessarily prof- or you know they, most of them are not professional photographers that you can get so that you know they can get so caught up and I know I'm, I've been guilty of that as oh, well. Yeah. Well, I think every photographer has is that you're in a in a in a special place, standing in front of a monument in Paris or something. You think, well, I've got to get this, I've got to get this, and and then you want to do selfies and all that stuff, and you kind of forget that it's a special place and you really ought to take it all in. It's you know it happens to all of us, so it's normal. But I think you've got to, if you're more contemplative about it and you're aware of that situation then you can kind of slow down and say okay i'm gonna i'm gonna take this in for a minute or after taking pictures think okay i'm gonna stand back and see how my brain sees it not just how my uh, the computer i'm holding in my hand sees it yeah and i have to think too that just with the ease of being able to do this now i heard a comedian the other day who was joking about that he was talking about selfies for instance and he was trying to equate this to you know what it would have taken to take a selfie or a picture of yourself you know 40 years ago what you would have had to gone through including and up to and including you know delivering or mailing that to the person you're going to send that to and i I yeah it's way too easy based on the 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 poor level of quality we, people are willing to post on Facebook and Instagram, it's way too easy. <laughs> it's way too easy to take a horrible picture and to post it instantaneously. And, uh, you know, I think a lot of my photographer friends, we all kind of joke with each other about looking at stuff other people have posted and think, why would you post that picture of yourself? <laughs> why would you do that? You're a really smart, clever, good-looking person, and you post that? <laughs> but, you know, to each his own. Oh, yeah, and I, and I assume there is an art to that. In other words, being able, I guess being able to know how to do, you know, to do something like that with the light, I assume. And yeah, I know people who follow my Facebook know that I don't post selfies. So. <laughs> yeah. You need to be really good looking to start and to begin with to do that, and and I'm not. So yeah, I was gonna, I was going to say for myself, I know the camera is not very forgiving. It's, <laughs> and then as far as if you, uh, I'm wondering too, you know, for someone who is thinking about getting into photography, I would say even as a hobby, and then you know maybe taking a step forward with that as far as someone you know who has been doing that for a period of time and wants to get into professional work, if you might have any advice just based on lessons you've learned along the way. Well, you know how to how to make a lot of money in photography? Sell your gear. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody's a photographer. And uh, it's harder and harder for the guys and gals who make a living to do so. When you know, the cameras are so good anymore, you can put it on P, which stands for program. Sometimes it stands for perhaps. Hmm. Uh, Sometimes it stands for probably, <laughs> but it doesn't stand for professional. But at any rate, uh, Uncle Harry and Aunt Susie, they've all got DSL cameras, and they wind up at the weddings and the birthday parties and uh, all of those kinds of events. And, and it's, it's harder and harder for people to appreciate uh, the, the quality difference between what a professional does and what um, a, you know a semi-skilled amateur can do because... The cameras are so good, frankly, they kind of level the playing field. Now, can I see a better picture than Aunt Susie? I hope so, but 
if they don't, if they've never seen my picture of that event, they don't know what they missed. And, and I think that's, that's hard to explain to somebody. You're not going to know what you missed unless you had us both do side by side assignments and then compare my work to some, to, to an amateur. And even with a nice little camera and see, um, you got to know where to point it. You got to know where to point it and when to point it. So, Oh yeah. And as far as, I didn't know if there's any lessons you've learned along the way, you know, through your years, you know, doing photography that you might share in terms of just, you know, formative lessons learned or, um, or you know, things that you've you, that you would reflect about. Well, don't be lazy. Get up early. Take, if you want to be, take beautiful landscape pictures, you've got to be willing to get up when the sun does. You can't go out at 10 o'clock and shoot from 10 to two and, and have people say, wow, that's a beautiful picture. You've, uh, and in landscape, clouds are essential. Uh, a robin blue sky is just kind of boring. We get a lot of those in Oklahoma. And that's why I love New Mexico so much is they get the big puffy white clouds and uh, which make for beautiful sunrises and sunsets. And if you've got a beautiful sunset, don't leave once the sun goes down. Sometimes the next 30 minutes are the most beautiful because the sun's gone below the horizon. Hmm. So now you don't have a fireball you've got to, to deal with. It's so much brighter than everything else that it's, it's impossible really to properly expose the sun and whatever's in the foreground is going to be a silhouette. But once the sun goes below the horizon and you get into the blue hour and a, 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 a nice uh, scene with, on a tripod because the exposures are going to be a little longer... It's amazing the shots you can get after the sun goes below the horizon. So don't leave too early. Everybody else is going to go home when the sun goes down. Oh, yeah. And so now you don't have to fight all the other photographers because they're going to go to dinner or whatever. And um, the clouds are still illuminated by the sun. And hmm. even when the sun goes behind the horizon. And so some of the most beautiful sunset clouds are after the sun goes down. So... And the same would be true of sunrise. Very few people see sunrises. We all get up as late as we can to run off to work. And uh, uh, sunrise is a magic time if you'll get out of bed and, and pre-scout where it is you want to take a picture of so you, you can be there and be ready. And so don't be lazy. Just you got to go with the light. Oh, yeah. And I, I'm just sitting here getting the sense of, too, that you, just hearing you speak, that the importance of being able to appreciate what it is that you're looking at and, and taking that time to do that. Right. And I know in our, in our hurry it up world where everyone seems to be in a hurry that it really does afford you a different perspective in some way. The other little tip I'll give is that if it has eyeballs, get at eyeball level to take a picture of it. Hmm. If it's your dog, I mean, how many of us have seen pictures on Facebook and some six foot six guy's got his camera phone looking straight down at his dog? <laughs> you know, that's not compelling. But if you get on your belly and get your camera, whether it's a cell phone or any other uh, camera, at the dog's level or at the baby's level, hmm. it's, it's much more compelling. It's a... For when you're 71 years old, it's a, hard, a lot harder to get up and down, oh. <laughs> but it still makes for a much more compelling photograph. So um, if it's a bug, you don't want to shoot from the top. You want to shoot at bug level. And if you look at National Geographic or, or any photography magazine or, or a wonderful photograph you like, most of what you'll see, if it has eyeballs, it's pretty much being shot at eyeball level. 
Yeah, it sounds like point of view is a lot, a lot. Point a lot of view to, is, is is critical. Yeah. Yeah, and then I thought uh, lastly, maybe hearing a little bit about if, as far as about the uh, the pictures that you have on display at the gallery in the Paseo, or if you wanted to maybe share anything about that at all. Well, let's see. Um, I've got two on display that are on metal. I love printing on polished aluminum plate, or I don't do it. I have it done. But that gives it a, a radiance and a look that's very different than work on paper. So I, a lot of my work is on um, uh, polished aluminum. And if people want to see a great example of that, they can go to uh, Urban Johnny's downtown. I have some great big photographs at Urban Johnny. And every, oh, wow. every photograph in there is mine, or at least it was last time I was there. Um, and then I have a picture of... Uh, a lighthouse in uh, Maine that is the only time I think I ever risked my life to take a picture. Hmm. It was a, a workshop, and we had to crawl down on these really jagged rocks and fight six or eight other photographers for a sunset position. It had been cloudy all day long and rainy, and without the sun, you know, this lighthouse view was going to be awful. But our, our uh, instructor says, come on, we're going to go. We, we might get lucky. So we get all set up, and the waves are literally crashing at our feet. And the crevasses, if I had fallen in one of those, it would have taken a wrecker to get me out of it. Because you would have gotten wedged in there 12 or 14 feet down. My goodness. And uh, perched, trying to get someplace where you could get three legs of a tripod steady enough that you can take a 10-second exposure. Because we're, now we're out of light. And all of a sudden... The sun appears on the horizon. There's a little break in the clouds, plenty of clouds in the foreground. And we literally have 15 or 20 seconds to take this picture. Hmm. And so I think I got off four or five frames. Sun goes behind the clouds and it's done. Wow. And uh, and I love that picture just because of the story of what it took to get it. Now, when you look at it, it just looks like a a pretty picture. Uh, But I love to tell the story. Oh, yeah. And the other interesting thing is with the bus stop pictures I have, I have two in the gallery. One is of the broader picture of the bus stop, the Union Station downtown. The other one is a close-up of the sign. But I've had dozens of people come in and see the bus station and say, wow. I mean, these are older people, our age, my age. said, I used to go see Grandma on the bus. Or I used to come to Oklahoma City to see Grandma on the bus. But the most interesting one was recently... uh, a very well-to-do man, looking man, comes in. I didn't know him. But he said, um, wow, look at that. That's how I got started. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, I had I was coming from the Midwest, and my bus money ran out in Oklahoma City. Hmm. I got off the bus and said, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make my life here. And he wound up in the oil and gas business very successful. I'll be and done. so <laughs> that, was, that, that picture has really conjured up more stories than anything else I've uh, displayed. And then the other things, I'm, I'm a car guy, so uh, went to the street rod and custom show at the fairgrounds last year, and the backgrounds were just busy and people everywhere, and I was just really struggling with something to take a picture of. So I thought, well, I'm just going to take the the identification badges on the car, whether it's a Chevrolet or Ford or whatever, hmm. and I picked out the rustiest, cruddiest cars I could find. <laughs> so these are just close-ups of those uh ID badges, and they're, it's, they're printed on little canvases, so uh, I kind of like them, and it's something in a gallery for a guy, so much of what's in galleries is, is sort of 
not for guys. And so <laughs> I thought, well, I'm going to put something up for guys. Like, and the guys like to look at the car picture. So. Oh, yeah. So that's what's up right now. Yeah, it's interesting just hearing you uh, speak about this. I'm, I'm realizing that, you know, sometimes we, it's, it's easy to just look at a picture and really focus so much on that and not really consider, you know, what, what went into taking that photo yeah. or any stories that are behind it. And that's even causing me to even rethink about the way that I look at photos now. Well, the, the best photo is the one that somebody can relate to. It tells a story. They make up their own story. Hmm. Which is great, you know. Maybe it's a a field of sunflowers, which and they had a big sunflower field behind their house, and it reminds them of their youth. Those you never know how it's going to touch somebody and uh, what their experience is, and and hearing their experiences when I when I see people at the gallery, that's always a hoot for me. It uh, completely different than why I took it, but it they related to it, and I appreciate that. And they're a lot more likely to buy something that they relate to than just a pretty picture. So. Oh yeah. And that's, I'm wondering too, as far as the, uh, you know, just the experience of talking to people at, you know, at the gallery that come through. And I assume that there's, there's, you know, some memorable stories as far as what people share with you. Well, yeah, most of them I've already told you about the bus yeah. station, but, um, just Friday, last Friday night, these people came in and said, it's a husband and wife says, well, my father, uh, collects old V8, Fords. He said he's got a 3240 V8. He just finished, and this was a it was a Ford V8, one of these little canvas pictures. And she said that'll make a great picture for my, I mean, a great gift for my father for uh, some gift giving occasion. So they bought it. But you know, if I hadn't been there to kind of tell them where I got it, what the story was, and help them relate to it some way, uh, they wouldn't have gone home with it. And I'm I'm glad they've got it. So oh yeah, so it it's not so much about the money as it is just having your work appreciated, I think. Yeah, and that relationship with people, with them sharing what they do, and, yeah, yeah. you know, what exactly. you hear from them, uh -huh. that it sounds like it really is something that kind of goes both ways. It does, yeah, absolutely. You've got to be willing to ask questions and listen to them, and really listen. So, and, and, and there's an art to getting people to talk about themselves, and I'd a lot rather hear their story than tell mine, so that's not hard for me. Well, I definitely appreciate you taking the time. This has been really interesting just to get to know you a little better and, and about the work that you've done over the years, and I, I really appreciate you taking the time. Thanks, Jeff. I've enjoyed talking about it, and I hope your listeners enjoy hearing about it. Very good. Thanks so much, sir. All right. Bye-bye. You bet.